Welcome to the Dive In Movie Cast, a film podcast where two unqualified critics give their opinions and try and differentiate themselves from every other podcast out there. I'm Hayden. And I'm Wesley. And this week, we are joining Indiana Jones for one last adventure. Indiana Jones is back in Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, and we're going to be talking all about the beloved archaeologist himself. Um, but before we get in it, yeah, there it is. But before we get right into it, uh, how's your day been, man? What are you up to? Uh, my day's been good. I had to work, even though it's a holiday, and it was super slow at work. So I just kind of hung out, chilled, um, waited for the ability to get home so I could start up my brand new PS5. There it is. I did the switch. I did the jump. We're moving up in console generations, and it's time for the PS5. And uh, it's amazing. I, I'm so excited to be playing games on it with the boys. Um, I sadly had to buy the gta online update uh for ps5 and it does look good but oh my goodness they made me spend 30 dollars more on this game that's like five years old rockstar criminals the the fact that they know that they can do that and get away with it is insane they suckle every little bit of money from you uh until you are just left uh shooting people in the streets of los santos wondering what you've done with your life it's really funny, um, too, that we still play that game. Because I know like a lot of people oh, yeah. who, when I mention it, I'm like, I'm going to play GTA 5 with the boys. Everyone's like, you're still playing GTA 5? I'm like, name another game where I can fly around on a motorbike with explosives and blow up my friends while Wesley flies a DeLorean with rocket launchers on it. You know? Yeah. It's just, it's perfect for what we like to do when we hop on video games after a long day. But it's crazy that it costs you more money. Yeah, it's a little ridiculous. But at the same time, I did spend like... St- Almost eight hundred dollars to buy the PlayStation. So what's another twenty five? What's another twenty five thirty bucks? You know? Yeah, I'm glad you finally have one. I'm excited because now we don't have to worry about all the next gen games. You're you're good to play Spider Man two. You're good to play yeah, God of War Ragnarok. We're good. We're all good. Uh, all the boys have moved up in the worlds. Yeah. Um. So well, a couple are still lagging behind, but who knows if they'll ever move to this next generation we'll see someday they'll pull up their big boy pants and they will and they'll get one exactly but not until the ps4 is probably completely obsolete because it's still it's still got like you can still play most games on there and not all of the new games coming out are all just for ps5 yet but it's real close it's getting like there. uh there's lots of new games that are coming out that are built and designed specifically for the ps5 and some of them are getting back uh, ported too, like Hogwarts Legacy was a PS5 game originally, and then got backported to PS4. Um, but it's just not going to be as good. Everyone's making the switch. We're moving up. You know, mm-hmm. it's about time. It's time for me. Less eventful day. Um, woke up. Went... What are you talking about? Yeah. Okay. You went to. You gonna get there? You gonna okay? The, the ribs. Continue. We're gonna talk about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I woke up today. Yesterday we had drove out there, but it was raining, so they shut down early. Every year, Halifax does this thing called the Halifax Rib Fest, which is exactly what it sounds like. It is all some of the best vendors who sell ribs in Canada, all gathering in one area and doing a giant festival for ribs. So we had went last night, and they were closed. Woke up this morning with one goal for the day, which is get <laughs> ribs. I have succeeded. Um, right before we started this podcast, I was just devouring the ribs and now I am currently sitting here just sweating, just sitting in my room cooking while we talk about Indiana Jones, little things in life. If you listen real closely, you can smell the barbecue sauce on his mouth. It's the best, it's the best barbecue sauce I've ever had. 
Nothing like it. <laughs> uh, Anywho, enough talk about ribs. Yeah. How how long could we go on about the rib fest? Honestly, I don't know. Probably long. Yeah. But let's just get right into Indiana Jones because there's not too much on the go for us this week aside from what we've mentioned. And this movie, uh, Dial of Destiny, premiered at the Cannes Film Festival, I think like two months ago, to negative reactions, which I think was one of the big shocks of, of the summer. Everybody was like, this is going to be the movie of the summer. And, you know, yeah. since that it premiered at the festival, there's been dwindling interest. It's been really interesting to watch how that initial premiere at cons kind of killed the momentum for this movie, effectively. Um, because, don't get me wrong, there's plenty of people who are still excited about it. I was still excited about it. But I think everybody was hoping this would be a knockout. And that initial reaction was disheartening, to say the least. But... Indiana Jones is one of pop culture's great franchises. You know, I feel like Raiders of the Lost Ark and The Last Crusade, two of the greatest movies to come out during their time. Um, just perfect action movies, great adventure movies, just all around. Um, I think Raiders is genuinely a flawless. It's a five out of five for me. But I feel like we've briefly discussed Indiana Jones at times in the past. Do you have any particular nostalgia for the franchise? Do you have any relationship to the Indiana Jones movies? Um, nothing super specific. I mean, the classic of my dad making me watch the movies when I was a kid. Um, and one weird memory that sticks out of my head, uh, at Disney World, I, is it Disney? Yeah, it's Disney World. Um, they have, I think they still have, if they don't anymore, sad, uh, but like a live Indiana Jones show, um, where you watch Indiana Jones, like a stunt actor run from the boulder and everything nice. and like classic Indiana Jones fashion. Uh, I remember going and watching that as a kid when I went to Disney at a very young age. Um, yeah, nothing like super special. Uh, it's it's definitely a classic that I do love. Um, it kind of sits in that nostalgia area for me uh, with like Star Wars um, and like Lord of the Rings. I think that's kind of because that was the era that I watched them in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely a, a beloved movie franchise that uh, I was not – when it was in his prime, I was not around. Um, yeah, sadly, same. I didn't get to experience that in the theaters, but I definitely uh, watched them all and did like them. Yeah, when, when I was growing up, the only one that I had any relationship to at all was Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think when I was a kid, you know, my dad and my mom didn't show me any of the other ones, so it was just Raiders. And then eventually, I when I got a little bit older, I came around and watched the the whole franchise. As I had mentioned a minute ago, I think Raiders is genuinely a perfect movie. Like, nostalgia aside, it's aged perfectly. It's really still remarkable. Um, But these are the movies, and I was talking to my roommate and our friend Morgan about this. I just said these are, like, it's the definition of, like, watch it with your grandparents or your old man. You know, like, this is just very much like a kick it on the couch and and watch it with your family type type franchise. And I think, you know, I saw this movie with, with my grandparents, which was a great experience. It was really fun. I, I don't have any particular nostalgia for them, but while watching them, I'm able to recognize that like they are one of the most important relics of like pop culture from from the '80s and continues throughout throughout you know the '90s and, and when we were growing up in the 2000s. Yeah. Um, but what was your general reaction to Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny when you sat down in the theater? Were you were you still excited? Did the negative reviews kind of sway you a little bit, or was it just like, all right, let's fucking do this? I was still excited. You know, I was ready for um, Harrison Ford's last bash as Indiana Jones. Mm -hmm. I was ready for uh, the world's uh, wandering adventure that was about to happen. You know, I think I was 
um, smart going into this movie with very little expectations. Like, I didn't expect it to be, like, the classic Indiana Jones that I loved as a kid. I expect it to be a new take on an old classic in a way to kind of um, bring an end to the story, you know? So I knew there wasn't going to be anything coming after this. I was just like, okay, this is going to be a ending. And I didn't expect it to be good. I didn't expect it to be bad. And I think that helped me enjoy it a little more. Mm -hmm. I had had a similar thing where I was like, after a lot of the reviews started to come in, I was like, all right, resetting my expectations for this. If this is better than Crystal Skull, it's a win. Yeah. That's kind of how I felt going into it. And I personally think it was. Yeah, Um, me too. Yeah, I, I definitely had a lot of fun with this movie. And like, I think I was a little cynical when I came right out the theater um but now sitting on a little more i genuinely did have a lot of fun i enjoyed my time it was really funny because um there's a guy who i know at work who comes in all the time i work in a coffee shop and he works in construction but we have found a mutual uh uh activity we do together which is movie podcasting um his name's hank and he uh co-hosts the fandom power podcast if you ever want to check them out um and he i was standing in line for popcorn and he grabs my shoulder and i don't know who it is so i turn around quite abruptly and he's like you going to see dial of destiny i was like of course and he's like good man and walked away <laughs> um and so it was, it was kind of a cool moment because um i saw him at the theater he is a person who has grown up with like indiana jones and has known indiana jones for a while you know and so I it was cool to see him there and then after the next day I talked to him about it um and he he was like yeah I really liked it I had a lot of fun it felt very nostalgic very classic to me and I thought about it for a second in my brain and I was like I understand now it kind of makes more sense uh why people these days probably didn't enjoy it as much because they don't have that same connection you Mm -hmm, know mm -hmm. and I don't think I have a strong uh, super strong connection either but i can understand that appreciation for a franchise that has been around forever having an ending like this that feels very fitting for the franchise not too ambitious nothing too crazy but um just like a good classic indiana jones story um that might have a little bit too much action sequences in it which is weird to say for an indiana jones movie but well interestingly enough i feel like that criticism comes into play because of the length I don't think it's a, a matter of like the movie's too action packed. I think it's just the movie's so long that eventually the action just starts to like become a little bit brain numbing. Yeah, I think I think that's uh, definitely a big part of it is that the action it is a long movie, and so the action sequences they drag them out a bit longer because they have the time to do that, but they just really didn't need to. There's I feel like there's a lot of unnecessary shots of characters just like coming out of an alley and looking one way and the other and then running, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but like if i had like that would probably be my only big criticism for this movie otherwise i had a really fun time yeah i do feel like i i have this movie's flawed and i have some issues with it that we'll get into but overall like to condense it down to like what worked and what didn't a lot more worked than the stuff that didn't work um, yeah you know like i think the emotional beats here for indiana jones and for harrison ford are very very compelling like this idea of someone who has spent his entire life caring about history and caring about the past only to live in a world in 1969 where nobody really cares about the past you know everybody's kind of reckoning with america and reckoning with the state of the world and and changing 
and the world is rapidly shifting around him and he kind of feels displaced by this this world that he's living in and i think you know not to make like an old person joke but i think in a sense making indiana jones the relic to the world around him was like mm. extremely effective like i thought that was really really great stuff yeah, I th- I totally agree, and I think it was very effective too for them to place it in the time where like astronauts are going to space, mm-hmm. because huge time where like Americans don't care about history anymore; they care about the future. They're making history, so why would they care about the old relics of the past? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think setting it in that backdrop and also having Indiana Jones almost feel, um like out of time uh in this time era he's in um uh, feeling like he doesn't really belong here it was very good for like the character and the plot to develop in the way that it did mm-hmm. and it comes full circle at, in the third act which we'll talk about later but um this is the first indiana jones movie not directed by steven spielberg it's instead helmed by james mangold who directed logan uh ford v ferrari a director i'm i'm a big fan of did you feel the absence of spielberg and if not what did you think of james mangold's direction you know, I think I only felt the absence of Spielberg because James Mangold made nods to Spielberg. Um, like, overall, I didn't really feel the absence of Spielberg. I did in some senses, such as, like, I don't know, I feel like when I think of an Indiana Jones movie, I think of, like, these huge desert shots or, like, these, like, real town, like... um world building going on bustling streets you know that kind of stuff and i feel like that's almost a little lost here Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a lot more just one-on-one character moments that are happening and the only big like cities and streets that we get are through action scenes and action or chase scenes or whatever um so it's definitely i definitely noticed it a bit but i definitely noticed it more when he makes those little nods to spielberg and the classic indiana jones movies um, such as at the very end, uh, and Hank even told me what that thing that he do is where it like kind of zooms out with a little circle that has darkness closing in. Mm-hmm. Um, anywho, uh, there's a name for that shot, but yeah, I don't, I don't think I felt it as big as, uh, largely as maybe some did. Right. I, I do agree. I think there was moments where Spielberg, his directing style has such like a magic to it. He's almost capable of putting a spell on you every time you sit down for a Steven Spielberg movie. And I did feel like at times, you know, that was missing a little bit. And I think it was largely missing because Steven Spielberg knows the importance and he can, he's made long movies. The Fablemans is a long movie, but when it comes to an action movie or his Indiana Jones movie, I think Spielberg has always known there, there is a time, like a a time limit for how long audiences will be invested in it. Yeah, and I, I feel like totally I, agree. I feel like Mangold is just like nah, two and a half hours, and I'm like, mm, I feel like if Spielberg made this, it'd be a little bit tighter. Um, and I think I noticed that through like the pacing is where I really was like, this is not a Steven mm-hmm. Spielberg movie. Um, that being said, I, I think James Mangold really does effectively capture that original nostalgia and the magic of those movies while infusing some adult themes and, and a different energy to it. Yeah, definitely agree. So. We're introduced to some new characters for this adventure, and I'm glad I can get your perspective on this because you're you're a big fan of of this woman's work. Um, we have Phoebe Waller Bridger show up, or Phoebe Waller Bridge, sorry, uh, show up as from Fleabag. You've watched all of Fleabag, yeah. right? You're a big fan of the show. I've watched Fleabag, I think, twice now. Um, it's a great show. If anyone hasn't watched it, Amazon Prime. It's one season. It's incredible. 
um, you should watch it. I started it the other day. Uh, I thought it was quite charming. I liked it. Yeah, if you think it's quite charming at the beginning, we'll wait till the end. Uh, but anywho, yeah, she she appears as uh, Indiana Jones's goddaughter, um, and I think she does a good job in this movie. Um, I think it's nice to have, and they probably maybe consciously made this choice that like I think the era of women in action movies being like super attractive and long flowy hair and, and nothing ever gets messed up you know um that's long gone and i'm not saying phoebe waller bridge is not attractive i think she's very attractive um but she um steps out of the more generic typecast like female role that i feel like we would normally get mm-hmm. in this Indiana jones movie by having that thief side to her that criminal side to her um, that definitely gives her character an extra something, you know? Um, and I think it's a good use of a character to spice up a, like, well-known... You know Indiana Jones, right? You know the classic Indiana Jones. You know all the people he works with. So throwing in this new character who's younger and is more accustomed to the new world that they're living in, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was really well done. And I think she did a really good job. I've never seen her do anything action wise or anything like that. And so I think she does a really good job in this movie. Does she still have all the same, you know, flea bag charm or do you feel like they've dialed it back a little bit for this movie? No pun intended. She does not have the same flea bag charm at all. Uh, she is it a little bit, but the flea bag charm is a little different. I think she has that Phoebe Waller bridge cheekiness to her. Um, in a sense, uh, she's got this really good way of, when she says jokes or says funny things like smiling afterwards, expecting the laugh. And that's the thing that makes the laugh happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think she does it a bit in this too. Um, But yeah, she definitely keeps that bit of cheekiness to her that her character in Fleabag also has. Yeah. She has some of the best laughs in the movie. I think some really effective lines. Like there's one where she's talking about, she's like, if only there was somebody who would have been here for me after my, after my, um, my father and then she's just like what even is a godfather anyways just like a really funny uh line delivery from her i thought she was really good um i'm not as familiar with her work but i think she i know what you were trying to say too like for lack of a better wording she's not a bond girl you know she's very much like this kind of exactly smarmy slick tongue-in-cheek character instead of being like the this trophy wife for lack of better wording as well uh who sits by indiana jones's side Exactly, and I think that's something we've seen before in the Indiana Jones movies that people don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm glad they didn't like stick with that classic Indiana Jones, like really classic Indiana Jones. That's a bit outdated now. Well, I also think too that the Indiana Jones movies were always at their best when it was Marion by his side. You know, the second that they yeah. they had that um, the blonde woman in Temple of Doom, who is just it's no fault of her. The character is horribly written, but she's awful. Um, and then, you know, you have um, Kate Blanchett and Crystal Skull, who's fine. I think she's she's like the villainous character in that, but she does have kind of the Bond girl type tropes. So I think Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character is a lot more in line with what Raiders of the Lost Ark was doing with Marion than it is like what some of the sequels started trying to do with the other female leads there. Yeah. Um, but I, I really liked her, and I think we'll get in, into her, her character's relevance to Indiana Jones a little bit later on, but I think the way they write her character to be this emotional counterpoint to a lot of what Indiana Jones has experienced since we last saw him in Crystal Skull, I think is really effective. And I thought she was really good. 
less effective. Another, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, one more thing I wanted to say about it was um, another thing that I personally found and really enjoyed was you can almost see the parallel of old Indiana Jones versus um, new Indiana Jones, a.k.a. Phoebe Wallbridge, in a sense that um, she feels a bit more like the younger, cockier Indiana Jones that we know from like the first movie. You know, uh, more adventurous, more willing to take the risks, more able-bodied um, than old Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think that parallel is kind of cool where we see on one hand um, a treasure hunter who has been a treasure hunter his whole life, but is like out of the game versus the new rookie um, who's kind of learning from the uh, veteran in a sense. Yeah, no, I, com- I completely agree. Um, I was going to say less effective than her character, though. Unfortunately, this does, it brings me no joy to say this, uh, is Mads Mikkelsen in the movie. Mads Mikkelsen really is one of our best villains acting in Hollywood right now, despite the fact that he's so good, but the movies he's often in as the villains are very underwhelming. You know, examples being Doctor Strange, uh, The Crimes of Grindelwald. He, he's always great, but he never really gets these movies that allow him to shine. I think his best villainous turn is as Hannibal, uh, Hannibal Lecter in the show. But other than that, I feel like he's often underutilized. And sadly, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is yet another underutilized Mad Mickelson acting role. Yeah, I totally agree. And here's the thing. I, I think I know exactly why. It's because anyone can do the role he was doing. You know, it's not special. There's nothing interesting about this character. Literally anyone could do it. Mm-hmm. Um uh as a i mean spoiler warning but you're this far into the podcast you've probably seen the movie um anyone can put on a nazi suit at the end of the day and be evil you know yeah uh and so it's yeah he definitely does not get the opportunity to really shine here but he does do a good job with what he has Mm -hmm. exactly he's not given a lot but he he's mads mickelson and he's great so he does make it work um it's just it's not as uh exciting or um unique of a villain that we know mads could do and knock out of the park sadly right there are moments too where i see his villainous side really shining through the character's just not written in a way that allows him to really dive into it a good example of what i'm talking about with scenes where he starts to shine through is he's talking to um this black man who served in in war and they're talking about how they won the war and he go he says something along the lines of just like did you win the war or did Hitler just lose? And I'm like, uh, this guy's, he's got an ick to him. You know, he's like, he's really just kind of a piece of shit. And, but that's the thing. It's like anybody could have played this, this piece of shit. Yeah, exactly. It's not a hard role to do. And so, I mean, Mads is an amazing actor, but yeah, his performance here is the best that he could do with the very little that he had. Yeah. Um, the journey in this movie is very classic Indiana Jones, and I think that's a good thing. You know, it's it's back to what I think this franchise works as best, which is Indiana Jones versus Nazis trying in this race against time to get this object before bad things happen. And and I do think that, like, does it feel like them understanding that that's the best version of the franchise to you, or does it feel like they're playing the greatest hits album at times? For me it felt like they were playing the greatest hits. Mm. Uh, a friend of the pod roommate Sid, um, said a really good quote that was, um, it was along the lines of like, 
it feels like somebody uh, told someone what Indiana Jones was like, like vaguely remembered it, and then they made the movie based off that. Mm-hmm. It it definitely feels like greatest hits to me because, and that to be honest, that might be because of the pacing. Because what I found was that it felt very much like, oh, they get to this place and they find the thing, but there's the bad guy and they take the thing, and so they have to beat the bad guy to this location to find another thing. Oh, but there's the bad guy and he takes the thing, yeah. and then they have to beat him to the next location. You know, it's like it, it feels a little bit like greatest hits. Does is it bad? No. Um, but, but it does feel almost like they're like, you remember Indiana Jones? Here it is. Um, and and the love, you know, the passion doesn't isn't there as much in my opinion. I yeah, I, I think you nailed it there. I completely agree. And again, as I had said, I think this, these movies are at the best when it's like Indiana Jones versus Nazis. I always found that Nazis were the most effective villain for him, not only because of the timeline, but because they're just such an evil fucking villain for him to have to go against. Um, yeah. But it does feel at times where it's just like, hey, remember how cool it was to watch Indiana Jones punch a Nazi? And I'm like, yeah, I, I remember. I can watch Raiders of the Lost Ark, too. But to be also honest, um, I think Nazis are a great villain for him to fight, but I this is such a weird thing to say. I feel like media has um, dulled the Nazis for me as as, um as like an antagonist you mean yeah in a sense like i get it the nazis are bad and evil i totally understand but do we not have other villains we could choose from you know Mm. and i know that's a classic indiana jones thing but um i feel like just with the amount of nazis we've seen in movies that are and they're the bad guy it's like just really obvious at this point <laughs> you're and like i, I fucking I get that, it man i i get that nazis are bad i really just got to make that point yeah <laughs> um and i think in a weird way that stems from indiana jones uh, it almost comes full, full circle where indiana jones is fighting nazis all the time and so everyone's like we'll fight nazis a bunch in movies and then we come to this new one and it's like yeah we fought a lot of nazis like um you know so it's it's interesting um and i think it does fit really well for nina jones but uh i think just as someone who lives in this day and age and has consumed the amount of media that i have the nazi villain in 2023 feels a bit lackluster that's fair um like the threat of it doesn't feel as intense and actually because you said that i think it's interesting too because you can feel james mangold in the writers of this film like actively being like, look at how bad these Nazis are, though. Because I noticed while watching this, the body count is very high in this movie. There's a lot of people dying um, and a lot of people just being cold-blooded murdered by the Nazis. And I'm like, yeah, they're Nazis. I I know. Yeah. You know, like you don't need to like kill like 20 people in like rapid success. I, anyways, I just I agree with you. I did. I did feel like they were really trying to hammer home like, no, but he's not just any Nazi. He's a bad Nazi. I'm like. Is there such thing as a good Nazi? They're all bad. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I found that. Yeah, I can agree with you there. Um, okay, so I feel like at this point we've made it this far in the episode. We've got to talk about Harrison Ford himself. Yeah, you know Harrison Ford, one of our great actors, one of our great living actors. Um, and I think that this is actually his best performance in a very long time. I think some of the best work he's done in in his career through at least the last twenty years, personally. Um, so, like, what did you think about his performance? Because to think about the fact that he's this good in a movie at 80 years old, this convincing as an action star still, 
and able to navigate the complicated emotions of the character. Did did you think that he was do you agree with me essentially is what I'm asking? Like that he's remarkable here? I think he's good. Mm-hmm. I think it's a bit of a stretch to say that he's got to delve through the emotional beats of this character. Like, there are some moments, definitely, Mm -hmm. that he's got good emotion or whatever, but how hard is it to play Indiana Jones, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, Harrison Ford is kind of just become the staple of Indiana Jones, and I feel like if he just was himself, people would still be like, Indiana Jones, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not saying he's bad. Uh, I personally... I'm three episodes into shrinking and think that he's in- incredible in shrinking. Agreed. Um, underrated Harrison Ford performance. Not enough people talk underrated about Underrated Harrison Ford performance. Um, but I think he really does a good job uh, in this movie, especially for his age. He is getting up there. Um, and you can kind of tell uh, with it just, I can see it in his face that he's getting tired, you know? And I was very surprised, to be honest, um, by how so much of a majority of the beginning of the movie, probably like the first 10 or 15 minutes or more, maybe like 20, is spent with a CGI'd Harrison Ford. Yeah, okay, I'm glad um, you brought this up. A younger Harrison Ford, Mm -hmm. which is an interesting choice, but also at the same time, um, I feel like it works in this situation. I can tell it's CGI, I can tell it's a deep fake, you know? Um, and you can still hear it in Harrison Ford's voice because he's so old. Um, Modulate his voice or something. Put like do something because he's eighty and he's just like playing like forty year old Indiana Jones and he's like rrr, rrr, rrr. I'm like okay this is a yeah this is an old man. It's like a young Indiana Jones and he's like he sounds like wow you Nazis suck and it's just so deep and we low need and old. to get off it's this like, train. I'm like Jesus are you gonna be able to? <laughs> <laughs> um. He, but he, yeah, he's really out here doing a good job. And maybe they, the reason why they had so much of that first sequence as a CGI um, and a deep fake of a younger Nina Jones is because Harrison Ford just couldn't do it, you know? Like, he can't do as much. And you can kind of tell uh, from his body, you can kind of still see that he's older, but his face is definitely de-aged enough that physically he looks like a younger Indiana Jones vocally doesn't really sound like it yeah I think often I'll get on the mic on this podcast and just like have mental breakdowns over you know studios using CGI to like bring people back from the dead and like stuff like that and I think that this is the least angry I've ever been over de-aging stuff because it is like effectively it's a deep fake they're using old Harrison Ford footage to to make him look good well on top of that he's still here doing the performance you know like he's delivering the lines He's physically acting. He's still here. They're just de-aging him. That being said, um, it it mostly works. I think there's something about the lifeless eyes and the lack of expression on his face and the lack of wrinkles that just feels still uncanny valley a little bit to me and a little unnatural. But I think that this was some of the most impressive and effective use of de-aging a, a living actor to, to make them yeah, look younger. I, I agree. I've... I'm slowly getting past the my annoyances with deep fakes as they're getting better and better. Um, but I, I still find it odd how much Disney uses deep fakes. I know. Like, I feel like when I think about any other movie, I can't think about a single one that uses deep fakes. Uh, if it like it, it's always a Disney movie, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like they're always like this new cutting edge technology, but it's all it's always kind of weird. I don't know. 
Yeah, Anywho. I do agree. And I, I think it's the same thing with the Irishman. You know, the Irishman, you have young Robert De Niro, kind of young Robert De Niro, like beating up a guy. And he looks like an old man about to like drop drop dead. Like it's like, I, I don't believe you're beating that guy up. And that's kind of the same thing going on here. It's very interesting because this reminds me of uh, theater stuff in a sense. Um, like when you, one thing I got taught in theater was um, this idea that you can put on as much makeup and as much like you can put on a mask, you can look completely different, but if it's not in your physicality, it doesn't feel real. Yeah. And so, yes, you can de-age these people to like physically look younger, but they physically don't move younger, don't act younger. They are still old. Mm -hmm. Like the de-aging process doesn't work for the entire body. It works for just the face, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it, it's tough, and I don't think it'll ever get to a point where we are fully like, oh, I can't even tell, you know? Mm -hmm. I do but, think it mostly works here because it's relevant to the plot. It's relevant to introducing Mads Mikkelsen's villain early in Indiana Jones' life, so he's, like, familiar with this threat. Uh, he knows what he's dealing with here with the, I believe I'm going to pronounce this right, the Antithicura. Um, you know, it's... Uh, Sure, I, I don't. I you looked at me like I would chime in and be like, "Yes, that's <laughs> that's how you say it." No, it's it's Archimedes' dial is what it is, and essentially this whole MacGuffin is this this dial that can change time. You can go back and you can alter things that have happened throughout history using this dial, um, and so that's what everyone's after here. But I, I do think it works because it it introduces you to how relevant this particular chase was in his life and how it will resurface later in his life. You know, um, it's also yeah. just a great classic Indiana Jones train heist type sequence. It's just it's a very fun opening 20 minutes. I was shocked that it was a full 20 minutes, though. I was like, wow, this is really like a giant prologue. Yeah, it's quite long. Um, something interesting I did find, though, was why did they not de-age Mad Mads Mikkelsen, too? So I was reading about this, actually. They do. There's just not as much footage of him to go back on so it's just not as effective like there's only really like a lot of prevalent Mads Mikkelsen acting stuff from when he has been older right mm -hmm. so they don't have it's a lot of just like trying to erase wrinkles off his face and trying to just make him look younger using like airbrushes and stuff as opposed to with Harrison they have decades of stuff that they can alter his face with Mads Mikkelsen they have the last two decades of his career if that um, so they, they tried, it just doesn't, it's not nearly as noticeable because there's not nearly as much to, to do to him because they don't have the, the resources. Yeah. But you're right. It's, it's funny because Mads Mikkelsen shows up like 40 years later in the plot and he looks like 10 years older. Looks, yeah. He looks almost the same. Yeah. Um, let's, I think at this point I, I can get a little bit more negative on the film because we've been, we've been talking about what works and, and praising it a little bit. But I think for me. My biggest negative of this film is that it ends up being so much longer than other installments, which leads to it feeling quite overstuffed. So while watching it, I was thinking, this is a fantastic first act. Mm -hmm. And while watching that first act, I was like, what are people talking about? Like, what's with these negative reviews? Because this is a really killer Indiana Jones movie. And then it becomes this globe-trotting, around-the-world epic in the second act. And it gets kind of boring and kind of forgettable, to be honest with you. Like, I think 
it's it's not good that I saw the movie three or four days ago and I already forget so much of what happens in that middle chunk of the movie. Like Antonio Banderas shows up and then he dies like ten minutes after. I'm like, what are what are we doing here? Um, mm-hmm. So I feel like the th- that middle act does kind of really compromise the pacing of the movie and ends up leading a lot of it to feel a little bit more forgettable than it would have, I think, if they had just fine-tuned it. You could really cut that whole Antonio Banderas stuff um, and the movie would still work the exact same. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I think that, like I said earlier, uh, how you were talking about it's like the greatest hits. I feel like they tried to do all those greatest hits in that middle chunk of the movie. Um, with like here's this character you remember this character look at this new location look at this thing and it's like oh there's so much here man like you Mm -hmm. can't fit this all in here and not feel a bit of a lull you know like phoebe waller bridges like ex boyfriend or fiance or husband is like chasing them and i'm like why why do we need this yeah it's it's unnecessary yeah i think it just drags down from the the general pacing of what the story's trying to do which is just be a classic indiana jones movie and then they start throwing in all these other pieces and another piece and another piece and then it just ends up having too much fat but i want to talk a little bit about um the genre aspects of this film because indiana jones has always been known to bust out you know genre filmmaking tropes you know the first one has the ark of the covenant opening and melting people's faces the second one has mayan voodoo the third one has people being resurrected you know uh the fourth one has actual aliens so it's not a stretch at all to say that Indiana Jones has always been fantastical, but what they're getting at here is straight up time travel. So I'm curious, like, yeah. did you feel that that was in line with what we've experienced throughout the rest of the franchise? Did the time travel as an idea work in an Indiana Jones movie for you? I think the reason why the time travel worked for me, because it did, was the fact that they explained it so well. You know, they didn't try to make it anything crazy or anything wild. They made it quite simple. The idea that Archimedes built this dial that could find fissures in the time stream or whatever. Like, that's it. It's not a time machine. It's actively locating something that already exists in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think by doing that, uh, it kind of... It, I, what I really liked about it is that it grounded it in this world. A, such a fantastical, whimsical device that's absolutely insane having so many people know about it but think it's like ridiculous and silly and doesn't actually work um versus the nazis who have been searching for it forever and really do believe in it um and then at the end of the movie seeing how it actually works you know i think that's what really did it for me and this is getting into spoilers for the the movie um but the fact that it's not actually a time machine it's a one-way time machine for archimedes to ask for help yeah uh, to see if people would come back and help him you know that is so interesting um d- basing it all around like the uh siege that is happening on his hometown and like that's why he had the idea you know so i think it's it does work for me because yes like you said india jones is so whimsical and wild plus they don't really do time travel until like the very end you know mm-hmm. if it was a world hopping adventure where he's also traveling through time i'd be like okay that's a little nuts yeah no i I do agree i think that this is actually squarely not a time travel movie um and i think that's why it works it's it's one fissure in time that is capable of bringing them back it's not like the dial is opening rifts in the world it's just a matter of there is simply one rift and they go through it yeah exactly 
But I do think that, you know, like these movies have always been really fantastical. And I think for Indiana Jones, it's actually really cool to have the grand finale in the Indiana Jones franchise be like, he's a historian. He's interested in the past to have him physically end up there as like the, the last big adventure that he has. I think it really works. I think it's very cool. Um, and I love the whole moment leading up to it where he's just like continental drift. He didn't factor in continental drift. You're not going to yeah. end up in, you know, Nazi Germany during uh, world war two. That's just not how this is going to work because you didn't do your math. Right. And I found, I found that to be like the ultimate flex from Indiana Jones is him using all these things that he knows just to be like, you fucking idiots. I just, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. And it's, it's really cool too, to get into the end of the movie when he does, go back in time and he has that moment with Archimedes and he's like, leave me here. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to stay here. I think that is so cool. I would have totally left him. I know he would have messed up the time stream and everything. It's too dangerous. Oh man. uh, He's so old. He's done so much. Like let him live a happy life. Um, and maybe die in that battle. Uh, maybe he's going to hang out with Archimedes. Like you don't know. And he can speak their language too. It's just, I was like, nah, leave him. Leave him there. <laughs> and then they don't. <laughs> I, I like that they don't leave him there, though, because it factors into the whole theme of the movie for me, which is like, it's the dial of destiny, not the dial of time travel, you know? Like, his destiny is to be alive when he is alive. And there are people who care about him and love him, and you can't just decide to go back. He's running from, and we, we should talk about this in a, in, in a second here, what he's been through since the last movie. Um, but he's running from this. And I think his attempt to stay here is not only a little bit ignorant about how that would affect the world around him on, on his end, but it's also him trying to run from, from his past and from his pain. And I, I really like that this movie is essentially saying like, you can't be in the past. You have to just move forward. Even if it sucks, even if the things that have happened in your life suck and you don't want to move forward, you can't, go back even though he does get to go back you know what i mean yeah plus it's like the classic nana jones like yeah he's got the thing in his hand but he does not get it in the end right you know right and he still does Um, get ultimately what i would think is the coolest experience in his life he gets to to experience history he gets to witness the the battle of syracuse in in 212 bc which is a very historic moment and for someone like indiana jones who has spent his whole life studying the, the repercussions of that battle, Archimedes himself, the dial. Um, I think it's very cool to have him witness it, but not be able to hold it, not be able to stay there long enough to actually be a part of it. He just sees it. And I think that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of ties into the emotional core of this movie. I should have mentioned this earlier, but there's just been a lot to, to mention. Shia LaBeouf's character in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, a character that did not work for almost everyone. You know, he was an attempt at setting up this backdoor spinoff of like, the Adventures of Mutt, Indiana Jones's son, and almost universally, fandom was like, "Absolutely not, we're not doing this." Absolutely not. And Shia LaBeouf, now a very controversial figure, um, has who has made our Honey Boy episode of the podcast age like dirt. Thanks, Shia. Nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, um, yeah. So it's it's a way of writing Shia's character out, but I also think it's extremely effective for Indiana Jones's arc, which is, you know. Shia LaBeouf goes to Vietnam War, or Mutt goes to Vietnam War, and, and he dies. And it causes the separation between Marion and Indiana Jones because he felt in, unable to console her, um, unable to help due to the, the amounts of grief that they were both experiencing. And I think that that whole emotional arc really 
does work for me. Uh, it's certainly a choice to be like, we're, we killed Shia LaBeouf off screen. He died in, in war. It's wild. What did you make of that particular choice and, and the way that it affects the characters throughout the story? Because it's, it's not a small thing. It's really a huge part of, of the plot. I would agree with you that I think it kind of works for me. To be totally honest, I Harrison Ford mentioned, or like Indiana Jones mentions that his son has died in the war, and then I forgot about it until it gets mentioned again. Like, really, it's very much just like a. To me, it feels like oh, we can't have this character still in this universe. Let's just kill him. Yeah, you know, that's fair. That's very much what it feels like to me. And it works for his character and for uh, him and Marion ending up getting a divorce and all this stuff because they can't handle it and all these things. It works. Um, but it felt very much rooted in the fact that we literally are trying to, to rub this stain out of our record. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, keep him out of this valley. And I get it. I understand. Um, I do think the emotional beats work. Um don't think they worked for me necessarily but i do think it is a good uh emotional hook to get most viewers enjoyed yeah i i did really like it i think it it furthers this whole feeling that we've been referring to throughout the entire episode of like he feels displaced from time and that's because this life that he had been living and the life i think he thought would have been his whole future is now gone and all he has left is history and nobody gives a fuck about history anymore and so I thought that that was a very interesting way to like put him in this ultimate situation of like emotional crisis, which is like he's lost everything that mattered to his own personal life, but also the whole, his whole existence is being shrugged off. You know, he's just an old man who cares about books and nobody else cares about that. And I thought that that really effectively worked and having Mutt as a character factor into, into that grief was, was good. It's a good way of writing him out, like you said, and it, it is a way of writing him out, but I thought it worked really well. Um, I'm curious, what do you think Harrison Ford loves so much about Indiana Jones? Why is it that he loves this character? And he's like, you know, he, um, very openly, he cried during the six minute standing ovation for the film at the Cannes film festival. And he just openly was crying about it. Why do you think Indiana Jones is a character he's so proud of? And yet someone like Han Solo per se, is kind of like this blemish and almost like stain whenever people ask him about it. He has no interest in talking about it. To be totally honest, I think it's because he actually enjoys playing that character. Um, <laughs> he didn't like being Han Solo. He thought Han Solo was going to like not be around after the first movie, and it was still around. I can totally see why, because it also, in my opinion, jump-started his acting career, um, or I guess what little there is of it because there's not a whole ton of it, but I think Indiana Jones is his most iconic role. And come on, being known as the cool adventure treasure hunter with a whip and like having that iconic music, like all this stuff, like no one else can be Indiana Jones. And I think Harrison Ford realizes that and to see that character just end because no one's ever going to pick that back up. And if they do, it's going to fail horribly. I pray to God um, they don't try and reboot Indiana Jones or make some bullshit spin off. Like, let good things be good and let them end. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's probably why he cried was because, yes, it's the end of that character. But I think he also he's got to know as a person, it's close to the end of his acting career. Mm-hmm. Um, he is like he's a great guy. He's a great actor, but he is getting old. And at some point, we got to put the relics in the museum. I'm sorry. Um, so 
I I guess probably that's my take on why he's so emotional about this character is because it probably means a lot to him. Mm-hmm. I I think yeah I, I agree with you. I think he's hated being lumped in with with really honestly with fandom and with pop culture. I think he he views Star Wars fans as these almost annoying nerds who won't leave him alone. Um, whereas Indiana Jones, he's proud of it and he's proud of the fan base and and what it means to fathers and sons and grandparents alike. Whereas with Star Wars, he's just like, if I have to fucking talk about the Millennium Falcon one more time, I'm going to I'm going to end my own life. Like he's so yeah. he gets so viscerally frustrated when people talk to him about it. And I think that that is just because of of the separation in regards to he's really proud of this one role. And the other role was an unexpected thing that he's now synonymous with for the rest of his life. Yeah. Um, before we wrap up talking about the movie itself, I did I did kind of gloss over during I want to talk about the actual final we talked about the emotional resonance of it but I want to talk about the final set piece of like the battle of of Syracuse the siege of Syracuse um what did you think of this giant action sequence and you know it's really cool to see them thinking it's a dragon when they're in like a giant plane flying overhead but also do you think that the villains got the comeuppance they deserved in this movie because I was like Indiana Jones in my opinion and not to like ramble right after asking you a question but has always, to me, been, like, really good at giving, like, the villains, like, a crazy death. And they just kind of die here. So I'm curious about your thoughts on it. Mm, that's a good question. I think it doesn't matter, um, personally. Uh, yeah, sure. He could have the last word, the last laugh, or whatever. I think the last laugh is the fact that Indiana Jones finds that watch on the corpse of... Um, Archimedes and we see that same watch being put on by the Nazi like he went back in time to think that he could uh, change the tides of a war and become the Fuhrer in a sense um, and then he, he, everything gets wrong is wrong uh, because he just had this like blind ambition just like Hitler you know Yep. Um, so yeah, sure. He probably could have died in a more fantastic way. But what more fantastic way is there than a flaming ball of fire getting launched at your airplane and you crashing into the ruins of a historic city that you cared nothing about? Yeah. He, you know? he, yeah, that's a good point, actually. And I actually, since watching the movie, I've really thought about that death for Mads Mikkelsen's villain. And, and I kind of like it because... At first, I was like, oh, man, Indiana Jones, the franchise that, like, melts off Nazis' faces and really isn't afraid to just kill them in pretty nasty ways. It, it kills him in a pretty, like, he just, his plane crashes. But the win for Indiana Jones is the fact that he was right and the other guy was wrong. And yeah. seeing the terror and the panic of, like, holy fuck, everything we've committed to was for nothing. And... I think Mads Mikkelsen really, really does sell this moment of just, like, pure loser energy when he's just, he's realized that they're nowhere near where they plan to be and that he's actually lost. And I think I think his death is satisfying because it's emotionally satisfying. It doesn't need to be this big, brutal death for him. He was right, and the other guy was wrong. And I think that's emotionally, especially because it's an older Indiana Jones, I think that that does work. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have a the opportunity to face melt someone, so it's not as good. Yeah, exactly. But I do think this final battle sequence is, is pretty cool, even though it's like the most like Indiana Jones has always been a very practical effects driven franchise. And I think this is one of the first moments aside from Crystal Skull, which we don't talk about. But 
I think this is one of the first moments in the franchise where I was like, oh, this is a big CGI final battle. But I, I think it works. I think it looks pretty cool. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. So, you know, he wants to stay. He doesn't end up staying. And Phoebe Waller-Bridge punches him in the face, knocks him out, takes him back to 1969. And the movie wraps up with a pretty moving romance scene, at least for me, who I've always resonated with Marion and Indy as, like, the duo. Like, I always think that those movies were at their best when it was them. And I thought that sometimes callbacks to previous movies can be pretty egregious and annoying. But I thought that this was a sweet callback that gives him a romantic happy ending with the character I always wanted to see him have a romantic happy ending with. And it wraps up with a nice little bow on it. What did you think of this this little final romance scene and the return of Marion for, for one last scene in the in the franchise? Man, this stunk. Really? My, personally, hated it. Really? Why? Because I get it. Look, I understand. The guy gets the girl in the end, but you are telling me, you're telling me that these two got a divorce over their son who died and... All Indiana Jones had to do was travel back in time, go into a coma, and get shot in the chest. And her experience, none of it. She didn't see a fucking thing of it. And she just comes back and is like, yeah, let's have sex now. Like, (laughs) are you kidding me? I thought we were past this. No, that wasn't my interpretation of it. What I gathered from it, he says in the movie that her grief was inconsolable, that he was helpless to help her. And what I interpret this as is that it was the other way around. It's that he was the one who drowned in his grief. He's the one who pushed her away. And he told this narrative to himself that he was unable to help her, and so she left. And I think it was the opposite. And so I think what this actually is, is this woman finally seeing him. And I even I think she even says, are you ready to come back now, is one of her lines. Like It's like, it's implying the adventure can be over. You don't need to do this forever. And I'm still here for you, regardless at the ending of the day because I love you. That's that's how I interpreted it. That's so crazy that we had such drastically different interpretations. Yours is funny, though. That interpretation definitely works, and I totally see where you're coming from, but I literally just saw it as the happy ending, you know? like it, Does he it not deserve very one? Much, yes, he does, but that felt so forced, it was painful to me. Like, mm. Sid and I went and saw this, and I was... When they started kissing, I literally viscerally like cringed in my chair wow i was like what is going on he dude he is like 80 in this movie and he just woke up from a coma and all like it we're just gonna go straight to sex like that's just what's happening you know the man he's earned it he's he's earned this after after i guess i don't know it felt so forced to me. Like they were like, "Oh, we gotta throw Marion in there somewhere. Let's just chuck her in at the end, and everything will be okay, and it's all fine." Mm. You know? Yeah. It felt very much like that to me. Um, I'm glad you see the light in it, but I thought this was an interesting ending. Like, honestly, cut out 30 minutes of the action sequences and give me more time at the very end where they just like talk it out. You know? I I do. Ag- I wish that we got a little bit longer with Marion where they actually had some some moments together because it is just like a very sweet moment and then the movie ends um I would have liked to see more of her character again I think I've said multiple times I think that that duo is where where the franchise thrives is in that duo and I also thought it was ridiculous that um John Reese Davies the guy who plays uh I think his name's Salah I can't I don't remember how to pronounce his name he's there with his grandkids and then they go take them to ice cream and he's like dancing across the street with his arms up in the air I'm like what's happening um 
uh, like I get it. That's how he his character used to run. And it was just kind of very sporadic and wild. But like I don't know, the ending felt so forced to me. Um, because I and I think it's because I was on indie side where I was like, leave him in the past, man. Like he's got nothing to go back to. Leave him in the past. And so I think that's probably why it felt a little forced. But he had Marion. Yeah, felt- he had Marion to go back to. He had a marriage that he let fall apart that he had to fix he had he had to move forward he has to accept that his life as an adventurer is over and it's not all thrills he 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 has to process this grief and the loss of their son with the woman that he loved i thought it was beautiful i thought it was really forced that's like very quick wrap up it's very quick two and a half hour movie and the wrap up is like two seconds like come on yeah it is it is too quick they could have gave it i understand I understand that I watch action movies for action, but at least give it a little something at the very end, especially since that's the last time we're ever going to see those two. I know. Like, come on. I know. I'm just glad we um, saw them together again. I'm really happy that, that we got one last little sweet interaction. The fun callback. Does it hurt here? I was like, aw, I love it. <laughs> I don't uh, know. Greatest hits for me. That, you know what? Yes, true. It is. But when the hits are great, it's okay sometimes, but some of the callbacks here didn't work. I think that was one of the more effective ones for me, but I, I know what you mean. And I can, I, I see where you're coming from for sure. Um, okay. Let's rank this movie and then let's rank the franchise really quick in order of all five Indiana Jones movies. So what would you rate Indiana Jones and the dial of destiny? Um, I think after talking about it for a bit and thinking about it a bit more, I give it a solid three and a half. I had a lot of fun with this movie, but it has its flaws. It's messy. Um, and it's not as good as the originals, obviously, because you can't be. Um, but, yeah, it has its flaws, and it very much does, for me, feel like a greatest hits, um, plus like a just way to wrap it up, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I definitely feel like there is some love and passion that's not here, probably because Spielberg isn't here, but at the same time, uh, I did have fun. Yeah. I, you know what? You saying it and us having talked about it too, it's very weird to me that Spielberg didn't want to come back for one last ride. And I know that yeah. Crystal Skull was supposed to be that last ride. And I'm not going to sit here and act like Spielberg has not missed because he directed Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and it's just a bad movie. Um, but it's a bit bizarre that he didn't want to say farewell to the character that he brought to the world just one last time. Um, I think I'd give it a three and a half as well. It's messy but it's sweet and it it is everything I was hoping the movie would deliver on. Like I can't sit here and act like I wanted more from it. I just wanted Indiana Jones to have a fun, satisfying final adventure. And the movie gives me that. And then some, in some regards, but it is deeply flawed. So for that, I I think it is a three and a half for me as well. Yeah. And now Uh, the franchise, the ranking. Yeah. Yeah, The franchise. I think this goes without saying, and I think you're obviously in agreement. Um, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, fifth place. Yeah, I, Hayden, I'm going to be honest. I think we have the same list here. Good, because I was going to say we should try and pair it together. Um, I think we have the same list anyways, actually. But there might be one difference here. Fourth place for me, and I think, you know, maybe for you, Temple of Doom. Uh, yes. You know, like, I, I kind of want to, I think we had mentioned this before we started recording, but I think Temple of Doom is kind of, a really weird movie because on one hand you get this great duo of Indiana Jones and um and short round Kiwi Kwan and Harrison Ford all the stuff with them reuniting in like present day like the pictures of them together as, as adults love it makes me wish I liked this movie more um 
I think that they're both really great. But this movie is really weirdly mean-spirited. Like, it, it kind of gets off on putting its characters in, like, kind of miserable situations. It's very problematic. It's aged very poorly racially. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just think that the, the female co-lead in, in Temple of Doom is, like, insufferable. Like, I, there's a lot of stuff I would rather, do, rather rewatch than this simply because of that character, Kate Capshaw's character. Um, yeah, do you, do you have any thoughts on Temple of Doom? I kind of just spit all my thoughts on it, but I mean, not really other than it's like, there are some classic moments in this movie that I do have to, some great stuff on. Yeah. Some great stuff, but yeah, I totally agree. It's also a prequel, which I think is a really weird direction after Raiders of the Lost Ark to be like, all right, he had this whole character arc of like being someone who only believes in science and then having to confront that there's real stuff out in the world. And then it puts him in another very fantastical situation that's supposed to take place before Raiders. I just don't buy it. It's a bit weird to me. Yeah, it is. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Third place, we have uh, we have Dial of Destiny. Dial of Destiny, yep. Satisfying little send-off. Messy, not perfect. Um, mm-hmm. In second place, uh, I have Last Crusade. Uh, I totally agree. Second place, Last Crusade. First place, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You can't yeah. go wrong with the classic. Come on, people. That original Indiana Jones is... Ooh. chef's kiss i think a lot of people actually and i've been reading this kind of renewed conversation on a lot of people saying last crusade's the best one and i will say that sean connery and harrison ford it's a great duo i think last crusade's like the perfect father's day movie you know like just, just run it up with yeah. your dad on father's day it's literally a movie about them navigating their relationship um it's just a damn good adventure it's it's pretty close to as good as raiders for me but Raiders is a five-star movie, and I, I still think that the franchise was never able to top what they did with Raiders. It's it's phenomenal. Totally agree. That's the Indiana Jones, the rankings. Yeah, and I think that's just about everything we have to say for Indiana Jones, the Dial of Destiny. Um, we can't travel back in time, but you can. I did this on a, a previous episode. I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> uh, but you can check out our other episodes on Spotify, Apple, wherever you uh, listen to your podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram at the Diamond Movie Cast and our individual Instagrams. I'm at Wesley Giffen. I am at Hayden Kutris, and it's the same name on our letterbox, but we are also on TikTok now. I've been been working on some TikToks. I'm trying to increase yeah, yeah. our social media presence there, and I will say it's a, it's a pretty fun app to mess around with posting some short-form content. So if you like our long-form content, we get the podcasts every week, but if you want to hear some thoughts, three minutes worth of thoughts perhaps, um, it's on our TikTok, which is uh, at the Diamond Movie Cast. So yeah, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Why did it have to be snakes? Oh, dude, I was going to do the same thing. There we go. Great minds think alike.